0: Well, repeatedly this year, as we've looked at different aspects of the work of the Holy Spirit, we've seen that the fruit of the Spirit is more important than the gifts. The gifts are the matter that people wish to ever talk about, people are fascinated by, but generally pay only lip service to the subject of the fruit of the Spirit. So over the next few weeks and uh, this term, the Sunday mornings we're going to look at the fruit of the Spirit. So in Galatians chapter 5, if you will turn there to the passage that was just read for us, we see that the passage spells out the fruit of the Spirit, it's page 1173, spells out the fruit of the Spirit in the context of the command to walk in the Spirit. Verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. As today's cliché goes, we must not just talk the talk about the Spirit, we must walk the walk about the Spirit. It's a cliché that translates straight in from the Bible into today. We must walk by the Spirit. Galatians is a very challenging letter. The new Christians in Galatia had seemed to turn aside very quickly from Christianity And so Paul is writing to rebuke them quite harshly. And as we read in chapter 5, he talks about an internal warfare that Christians have. All Christians have this warfare. It's the warfare of the spirit and the flesh. Unfortunately, over time, in modern English, that sounds like the warfare between my kind of soul and my physical body. But that is not how Paul or the New Testament uses the words spirit and flesh. The flesh is our old human nature. If you look, for example, at the works of the flesh that he has there, verse 20, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, envy. We would call them sins of the spirit. But no, no, they're the works of the flesh. The flesh is not just the stuff that I'm always trying to reduce by eating less. It's not that stuff. The flesh is this world, this mortal coil in which we exist, this fallen sinful world, part of our existence. And the spirit is the new life that God gives to us when he pours his Holy Spirit within us. It's the new life of the age to come, not of this world. Now these two factors of our life, that we are still here in this mortal life, this fallen world, and yet now that we've been born again as Christians, we are in the spirit of the new age in the world to come. This, These two factors, which are both true about every Christian person, mean that we are in conflict internally within ourselves. My old nature keeps on rising up from the grave, and my new nature seems to keep on moving away from me or challenging my old nature. And so there is this struggle that goes on with Christians, a struggle that, well, in the age to come, when we do not have the flesh, we will not have the struggle. Or if we have not moved into the age to come, but only live in the flesh, we don't have the struggle, we just give in. We say, well, that's all right, everybody else is doing it, I should too. But we Christians, we want to do the right thing, but keep failing. And we don't want to do the wrong thing, but keep doing it. And we are uncomfortable in that existence. Look at verse 17 as he says it. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Now, it is in this context of this internal warfare that we have, that he writes about the fruit of the Spirit. He outlines the works of the flesh, the things that sinful people like like us, people in this fallen world, do by nature. In verse 19, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, And the things like these, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Doesn't sound like Hollywood's got much of a chance, does it? This is what is created as what is called entertainment. Why is it called entertainment? Why does it fill our tubes, our television? Because this is what is on the heart of people. This is what is natural to people. This is This is real life, as they would say. We're just showing you genuine life, which is not true, of course. They're teaching us what kind of life to have, but it's a life of this world. And it's put in this terrific stark contrast with the fruit of the Spirit in verses 22, 23. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such thing there is no law. Notice a couple of things. Three things, in fact. One, this is the fruit. This is the the outcome. This is the produce. This is the effect of the Spirit within us. If we have the Spirit of God, then this is how we should be seen. This is the kind of character. This is the fruit on the tree of the Christian. Secondly, notice, its fruit not fruits. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. It's not as if some of us, well, you have love and, and you have faith and you have joy and you have kindness and you have goodness. You, you Check which one you want to be. It's not like that at all. It's quite different to the gifts. The gifts that God gives are different to different people. But the fruit is common to all. All Christians should display all this fruit. This is the crop that the Spirit produces in each and every Christian. Thirdly, notice this fruit is not about skills or abilities. It's about our very character, about the very nature of the people that we are to be. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He changes our very character, so that we will become people marked and known by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. This is what we are like. We are people of self-control. You should be able to meet Christians and by their fruit say the Spirit of God is at work in that person. So my intention in this series is to do a series of word studies, looking carefully at what the Spirit is at work in us to produce so that we can walk in the Spirit in our conflict with our flesh. Now, word studies, I need to warn you, are very, very important and very difficult. They're very important for there is a Christian vocabulary and you need to learn it. Certainly we can put the Bible into modern English, but we can't really put the Bible into today's language because the Bible has its own language and you cannot really translate Christian words into non-Christian vocabulary. Up until now, we English speakers have had a terrific advantage and that's because the period of time when English was becoming standardised as a language, was the period of time of the Reformation. And so two books in particular standardised modern English, the Bible and the Book of Common Prayer, which meant that modern English has been around Christian language. But of course, as English is a living language, unlike Latin, Or unlike French, who always want to control it, English as a language is open to any influence that's happening. As the society moves away from Christianity, English rolls away as well from Christianity, which means we find it harder and harder to explain Christianity to people because we need to spend more and more time explaining what our words mean. It's like names, you see, we have moved away from having Christian names to having given names, because we didn't want to insult or, or offend people who weren't Christians. But I'm sure you will remember, as I remember as a child, all government forms just had Christian names. I was relatively conscious of it because I grew up in a very Jewish part of Sydney, and they always were mentioning this fact that they didn't have a Christian name, they only had their names. But most people never crossed their mind. The name Christian name, well, it was just that's just a name. But we have now learnt to call it given name and family name. But now we can start to notice something else is happening. That is that the babies and the names that are given in our community are no longer Christian. And it's just not that we have babies called Abdul or Krishna indicating that they are coming from a Muslim or a Hindu background. But very popular names are the celebrity names. Sunshine, Gypsy Rose, Madison, Brooklyn, all kinds of other names that have no connection at all with Christianity. Gone are the popularity of Peter and John and Mary and Matthew and and Mark, Paul. These names which marked out our love of our apostles, that is now diminishing. Or or those other wonderful names that have really almost disappeared from the scene, joy and hope and charity, those wonderful ones that speak of the Christian graces that were so often given to young girls. And, of course, no one these days is gay. Now... Words which are full of Christian meaning are either dropping out of Christian usage or being given quite different non-Christian content. Some years ago I got into terrible trouble at the University of New South Wales because we ran an evangelistic campaign all around the theme of reconciliation. I was warned off on this issue because I was taking hold of the name and the word of the Indigenous Australians and misusing it and applying it to Christianity. It was very difficult to explain, even to some senior academics, that we had the word reconciliation a long time before the Aborigines, just as they had Australia a long time before we did. That shift, that argument, it was an astonishing argument. Never crossed my mind that reconciliation was now owned by the Aborigines. But there it was. And we had to come to terms with losing another Christian word. Now word studies, though, are notoriously difficult because words are not like mathematical symbols. They're not precise like that their meaning and their nuances are always connected to the context in which they occur. And so when you try and define what a word means, you often find there are several different meanings, different shades of meanings, different connotations they apply. And so it becomes easy for a preacher, and I'm warning you now, so beware, it becomes very easy for a preacher to ride his own hobby horse loosely connecting it to a word. And so his favourite ideas are given connected to the word. This is particularly an issue like love, a word that is all over the Bible. But That's enough of the introduction, that's enough of you t- warning you about my preaching foibles and everybody else's, that you will listen carefully. Let's turn to the first word, love. It occurs... Throughout the Bible. And in some ways, it's the simplest of all the words on this list and the hardest. Simplest because it is so basic to the Gospel, we refer to it often here from the pulpit and usually define it as we go. Hardest because it's all over the Bible and to study every usage to come up to a clear definition is very difficult to do because it's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of references. So, rather than doing an exhaustive word study, come with me to one passage that captures up most of the Bible's themes about love, I think. 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7. It's page 1229. Please excuse my voice. I think I've just preached too often lately. (coughs) 1 John chapter 4. Page 1229, 1229. Verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us and his love is perfected in us. Now from this passage we can see the source of love is God himself. Verse 7, love is from God. Verse 8, God is love. Verse 12, if we love one another, God abides in us. Of course, the fruit of the Spirit of God will be love, For love is from God, and God is love, and the Spirit is the Spirit of God. If we do not love, how can we say we have the Spirit of God within us? God is love. God is within us. And we do not love. There is a disjunction there that must be wrong. Notice, though, that God is love is not the same thing as saying love is God. People think they can dispense with God and still hold on to love. Indeed, they turn love into their God. The situation ethicists of the 1960s failed abysmally in their attempt to create a new ethical system based on love alone. God is the source of love and love is not God, it's a character of God, for there's more to God than love though he indeed is love. Second thing to notice from this passage is the essence of love. What is it? It's the sacrificial giving of oneself. Verse 10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Love takes the initiative in giving sacrificially giving sacrificially to the other person and for the other person irrespective of their attractiveness or their merits or their deserts. There is an old phrase about only his mother would love him. It's a nice old phrase really. It indicates that human love depends upon the lovability and attractiveness of the other person, the person being loved. And so no one really would love such a person Except his mother. Only a mother would love such a person. Why? Well, because a mother will love her offspring irrespective of how ugly and unpleasant the offspring may be. God's love is not like human love. God's love is like a mother's love. God loves us irrespective of our attractiveness or beauty. Indeed, he sent his son to pay the price for our repugnant unattractiveness to him, in our immorality and decadence. Out of his love, he sent his son to pay the price for sin, turning aside his own anger against our sinfulness. Thirdly, this is how God's love is shown. He didn't just tell us that he loved us he didn't just beam it out on the radio waves he didn't just let it be known on Facebook or Twitter it his most deep felt secret to us God sent his son to die for us verse 9 in this is love the love of God was manifested made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him we are dead in our sins and trespasses, living under the capacity and thraldom, under the captivity and thralldom of Satan, facing the judge of all the world with guilt written all over our lives and God sent his son into the world to pay the penalty for us, to wipe clean the IOU that stood against us by dying for us in our place, So God's love is manifested, is demonstrated, is shown to us and to all. He did not do it to show his love, he did it to save us. But by saving us, he showed his love for us. When we feel guilty, when we feel unloved and unlovable, it is hard to grasp hold of the wondrous news That God should so love me as to send his Son to die for me. And yet, that news is transforming in its power and effect. And so, the logic of God's command, of God's love, is seen in that he commanded us to love one another. Verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Or verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. If we are the people of God, it should be seen in our love for one another. If God so loved us as to send his one and only Son to save us, then we ought to love one another. Okay. With this understanding of love, let's return to the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians. Back we come to the page number I cannot remember. Back we come to page 1173. 1173. Now the word love occurs five times in Galatians. The first use of it actually occurs back a page in chapter 2, verse 20, when it's used as a verb. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Again we see love being explained in connection with giving. Of sacrifice, the sacrifice of God's only Son Jesus Christ. This time though it's talking not about the love of God but the love of Christ in giving himself. Well that shouldn't surprise us that not only God but also Christ loves us for Christ is God and God is love and as Christ is God then Christ is also love. The gift of God's Son was a gift of a willing sacrifice, for Christ willingly gave himself for us. So it was not only that God the Father so loved us that he gave his one and only Son, but also that Christ, the one and only Son, loved us and gave himself for us. The next reference to love occurs in chapter 5, though, verse 6, where it talks of faith working through love. Chapter 5, verse 6, page 1172. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Paul has been battling with Jewish legalists in this letter. They claim that you have to be a law-keeping Jew in order to be a Christian. In particular, you have to take the symbol of circumcision the symbol of being a law-keeping Jew in order to be a Christian. Paul is the evangelist of the non-Jews. He's seen all these non-Jews, Gentiles, uncircumcised people become Christians. The Jew law-keeping people are saying, no, no, they've got all got to be circumcised. And Paul is standing in the breach of human history at this point in time saying, do you have to be a Jew to be a Christian? And he led the charge and fought the issue and it's here in this letter saying no you do not have to be a Jew to be a Christian and it all hangs on this issue of do you have to be circumcised or not and Paul battling with this has saying as a summary of his argument in Christ Jesus verse 6 circumcision uncircumcision they count for nothing it doesn't matter what matters is faith working through love. It's not having the badge of the law-keeping that matters, but the reality of what the law was teaching all along, namely faith in God and love. Love for God, love for others. For if you love others, you will keep the commandments, and if you are keeping the commandments properly, you are loving others. Which brings us to the third and fourth references to love, where we read in chapter 5, verse 13... And 14, for you are called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. We are free from the obligations of the law, the obligation of circumcision. We're not to place ourselves again under the Jewish law-keeping by being circumcised. But this freedom we have in Christ Jesus is not to be used as an excuse for going on in our flesh-like sinfulness, going on in our sinful immorality. No, we are free in order to have faith in God and love one another. And if we are loving one another if we're serving each other in love, why, then we are keeping the law. The greatest person in the Christian value system is the servant of others. For in our service of others we are loving one another and in loving one another we are like God. And so, fulfilling the law in reality, not in symbolism. My friends, this turns the world's value system completely upside down. You still get it in English language in very weird ways. The prime minister. I'm a minister, he's a minister. What's the difference? It has happened to me now, only rarely, but sometimes people ask me what my job is and I say I'm a minister and they say which government are you in? Because the word minister in political terms has come to mean power, authority, control, importance, significance. But the word minister is the old word servant. You see, he was the prime minister in that he's the first minister of the crown. That's why he's the Prime Minister, because no one gets the impression that he's serving the crown. Nothing particularly about our present Prime Minister, but none of our Prime Ministers do you think, oh, he's the first servant of anybody. The Prime Minister is the king, the ruler, the authority, the man with all the power. He, he says this and it happens, he says that, it happens. Because even when you give Christian words to the non-Christian world, like the word minister, it gets turned on its head because... Our world is run by power and authority. But the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is run by service and slavery. It's the exact opposite. And so the least will be greatest, the first will be last in the kingdom of God. Because the person who pours you the cup of tea this morning the person who cleaned up the balcony out there so as to make it a more pleasant place for us to enter in, the person who wiped down the pews so that they are not dirty for you to be sitting on today, they are the great ones within the kingdom of God. For out of love they are serving us. The person who has authority and rule in the structures of the denomination, the, the archbishop, he is not the great one. He is only the great one when he serves you a cup of tea, when he he welcomes you as a stranger and visitor amongst us, when he takes his role in the... the, Some years ago, for many years here, we had the principal of Moore College as one of our congregation members. John and Moir have now gone on to be working in another church with us. They got teased very naughtily by the Moore College students who came to the cathedral, because they took their turn in serving up the morning tea. The students teased them. Very naughty. I'm just mentioning this to the students who are here. Very naughty of you. Naughty, that's all, but naughty. Because he was setting such a wonderful example of true Christian service setting the example of what a godly person does, setting the example of the fruit of the Spirit, setting the example of a man who had the Spirit of God within him. Because he didn't say, well, I'm the important person here, canon, doctor, principal, he has all these grand titles and this great role. He's not saying, well, I'm the important person here, I'm too important to serve morning tea. No, without even letting people know who he was, he just took his role. That loving service is greatness. But the world does, never understands that because it's so strange. Which brings us, therefore, to the only other reference to love in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit. For the love we are to have for one another is the love that comes from God, for God is love, and Christ loved us And so the Spirit of God the Father and the Spirit of God the Son will work in us his loving generosity so that we will love as God loved and as Christ loved by serving one another, sacrificially, if need be. Friends, think here then of the contrast with the gifts. I may speak with the tongue of angels, I may know all mysteries, I may have faith to remove mountains, but if I have not love, I'm nothing. If you lovingly serve by any small act of kindness and help, putting yourself out for the benefit of others, then I am greater, you are greater than the most eloquent, impressive people the most gifted and talented people that you have ever seen. For what you are doing in your little act of kindness and service is so much closer to the heart of God. If you but give a cup of cold water in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are expressing the character and mind of God. And the work of the Spirit is working within you. That is why when people are really all fascinated about the gifts, you worry that they haven't got the point of what the Spirit of God is really at work in. And this, my friends, is living by the Spirit. We mustn't be confused about the spiritual life. By the Spirit of God, we're born again to a new life as we hear and respond to the gospel. But this new life in the Spirit is not fundamentally marked by miracles or by gifts, but by changed character. By love. By the fruit of the Spirit that are produced in us. So what we must do is walk by the Spirit. You see it there again in chapter 5, verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also Walk by the Spirit. It's not let go and let God. The Christian life is not standing on an escalator. It is climbing the steps by the power of the Spirit of God at work within us, enabling us to climb the steps. And what we must do if we live by the Spirit is walk by the Spirit. And so let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. Rather, let us love one another. So to walk by the Spirit, the spiritual life, is not the miraculous life. It's the loving life of joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. It's that life is the Spirit-filled life. This is the heart of what the Holy Spirit is at work in Christ's people about. And so, my friends... Let us do it. And if you find that is impossible, well then, you do need a miracle, don't you? The miracle of being born again by the Spirit of God. And if you claim that you have had that miracle, then we will see that miracle as the new life in you, that new tree, produces its fruit. And the first part of the fruit, the first bit of the crop we'll see is your loving service, especially of God's people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for this great exhibition and demonstration of your love for us. We thank you that you loved us so much as to send him as we thank him that he loved us so much as to come and give his life for us. And we thank you, Father, for pouring out your spirit, the spirit of your Son, into our hearts, that we can call you Abba, Father, that we can call him Jesus Christ, our Lord, and that we can be changed by him, changed in our very nature, away from the old nature of the flesh, into this new nature of life. We thank you for the work that he does within us, transforming us, making us into your people. We would pray, Father, for each other. We pray for those amongst us who do not yet know this transforming work of being born again that your spirit would be at work in them now, Father, bringing them into this regeneration, removing from them the embarrassment and the shyness of not being able to talk to others about it. Help them, Father, to be able to express their need for you to be at work in their lives. We pray, Father, for those amongst us Who do know this work of your Spirit in bringing us to Christ Jesus? That you would, by your Spirit, put this work of your Spirit into effect, that they may walk by your Spirit, seeing they live by your Spirit. That they might no longer be full of the envy and the jealousy and the rival rivalry but now may serve one another in love, faith working through love, and that this be seen in reality and in our actions. And we pray this for each other in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.